Or in... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Well, something relatively new is happening in American politics today. Although most Americans continue to oppose socialism, it has re-entered electoral politics and is enjoying an upsurge in public support unseen since the famous days of Eugene V. Debs back in American history. The question is, why has this happened and why is it happening increasingly? Well, this matter of socialism, this tradition of socialism, has deeper roots in our history than many people imagine. In fact, if you go back to the days of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his New Deal, the New Deal, it drew on proposals pioneered by socialists. And it was a young socialist named Michael Harrington whose book called The Other America helped launch the war on poverty. But when it came in electoral politics, socialism was largely shunned or irrelevant, that is, until now. Then came the crash, the economic crash of 2008, rising inequality and an intensifying critique of how contemporary capitalism works has brought socialism back into the mainstream in some ways even more powerfully than in Eugene V. Debs' time, since those who use the label, that is, socialist label, have become an influential force of the Democrat Party. Running as a Democrat socialist, Senator Bernie Sanders received 45% of the Democrat primary vote in 2016 and again in the 2018 midterm elections. Members of Democrat Socialist America were among the prominent Democratic voters. Their ranks included Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, as she's called, who quickly became one of the country's best-known politicians, whether you like it or not. One measure of her influence, as of early May, Senate Democrat leader Charles Schumer had 1.7 million Twitter followers. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had 2.5 million, but Ocasio-Cortez had 4 million Twitter followers. I guess you could say it's a generational divide, and that's what's happening in our country. So what does that look like? Well, five years ago, YouGov did a survey and found that 35% of young adults under 30 were very or somewhat favorably inclined towards socialism while only 26% registered unfavorable sentiments. In contrast, only 25% of voters 65 and older had any favorable views of socialism, while 56% were unfavorable. So something is happening. Something is happening in American politics, but it's being driven by something else. I believe it's being driven by spiritual forces that our politicians do not recognize. One illustration of this, which just came out in the news today, is is kind of interesting. Viewers were stunned as Jeopardy contestants totally were stumped by a basic Bible question. 
So what was that basic Bible question? Because according to an article that came out of the Western Journal today, it seems like a reflection of where the nation is spiritually. And that none of three contestants on a recent episode of Jeopardy could name a word from the opening of the Lord's Prayer. So the host said to the contestants, Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father, which art in heaven, this be thy name. So what was the correct response? Well, hallowed. What is hallowed? But no one could get it. Not one. So many people responded on Twitter writing they were surprised that none of the contestants knew. I'm not surprised at all, quite frankly. I'm not surprised. Another person wrote, did anyone else notice that all three Jeopardy contestants couldn't even fill in the blank with one word on the opening line in the Lord's Prayer? How can all three adults who made it to be contestants on the Jeopardy show not know at least the start of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be thy name? One Twitter observed, while it may not be a sign of the end times, it definitely speaks volumes about Americans and their faith or lack thereof. Indeed, it does. In fact, it's the young people. You see, it's a change in the generations. And we now have a generation rising up that knows not the God of their fathers, knows not the Bible, and trust anything but God. Now, when your trust is shifted, and God is no longer in the center of your heart, your mind, your thoughts, and the Bible no longer has any significance or authority in your life, then you're going to look to other aspects for authority. You're prone to be seduced into all kinds of nefarious isms. And one of those isms happens to be socialism. In fact, socialism is like a false gospel. It really is. It's like a false gospel. And we're going to see why it's like a false gospel here today on Viewpoint. So I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with very, with uh a call for conviction, deep conviction in our hearts. Because as one listener said, you just can't listen to viewpoint long and not be changed. So we're living in what I call synthetic times. A pretense. The very spirit of our times is what business uh, gurus call the fake real. And as Christians, believe it or not, as Christians... If we're to avoid deception and remain pure, we have to identify the ways in which our thoughts and our ideas and our philosophies begin to govern and change our thinking. And as human beings, we're human beings, right? We're profoundly susceptible to being swayed, often unwittingly. 
We tend to drift with groups or the masses who are also being swayed. And therefore, we're unaware as to how far we have drifted from that which was genuine. In fact, what we do, we we exchange perceived authenticity for that which is truly authentic. And the isms often provide the vehicle for that change. So we're living in a world filled with isms. So what is an ism? Well, an ism is a doctrine or a system or a theory, a particular outlook or viewpoint or emphasis that purports to orient our thinking toward a particular way of processing the world. Values, cultures, relationships, and ideas that surround us. And so when we get back from this break, we're going to be joined by our special guest, William Federer, uh, to help us in our conversation concerning this deception, the seduction of socialism. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The seduction of socialism, that's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint. I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And socialism is a political ism. Uh, An ism is an idea, as we talked about, uh, that forms our outlook, our viewpoint toward, uh, toward life, toward a world, and so on. And it's framed around a nugget of truth, a nugget of truth. So, as with all other isms, precisely because they're wrapped around an element of truth, political isms tend to extract authority from humanism or naturalism, making specific application the realm of government and economics which, as we know, affect millions, billions of people on our planet. So now we're going to take a look at one of those political isms called socialism, the seduction of socialism. And uh, to help us with the conversation, William Federer, longtime friend of this program and personal friend, uh, joining us here today with his book, Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. Uh, Bill, it's good to have you on the program. Hey, Chuck, great to be with you. It's been a while, not that long, since you and I joined together out there at the first landing celebration a month ago, or a month and a half ago. But uh, it's good to have you back on the program. It's been a while, and uh, you have been talking for years, uh, trying to help people come to grips in, in very understandable ways with how some of these deceptions that have taken place in our world have taken place. You have uh, not only talked about the deceptions, but you've talked about uh, the realities of our uh, covenant relationship with God, how that kind of thing uh, was at the very foundation of our country. But now socialism is seducing us away from God in dependency upon ourselves, 
and dependency on one another in ways that uh, there's no more room for God, is there? Bill? Well, one of the things I bring out in my book is how socialism is a bait-and-switch for dictatorship. And that even Lenin said socialism is a transition phase to communism. And uh, Karl Marx says communism can be summed up in one sentence, abolition of private property. Mm-hmm. So if, if you don't own anything, um, you don't have any power, you don't have any control, and you're at the mercy of those that control it. Well, isn't that what uh, Klaus Schwab, uh, heading up the World Economic Forum, said so notoriously uh, last year? He said, uh, we're going to present a salvation message for you. In fact, uh, you're going to own nothing and you're going to be happy about it. Isn't that what he had in mind? Yeah, yeah. And um, now the uh, first one that mentioned the concept of everybody owning everything in common is Plato. He lived 380 B.C. in Athens, and he uh, said that it sounds nice until you think it through. Somebody has to be in the government handing out the common stuff, and they're always going to be tempted to want to funnel a little extra to their family and friends on the side and hold back from someone they don't like. And before you know it, it gets discretionary. And the saying is, he who holds the purse strings has the power. So every attempt at everybody owning everything equally always ends up with a deep state bureaucracy passing out favors to their friends with the most corrupt guy at the top, a dictator. Isn't that what we're finding now uh, revealed in the news almost every single day with the Biden administration? Yeah, I I recently spoke in California and there were people there, you know, that had uh, immigrated from Asian countries from Latin South American countries and and they experienced communism and they fled to America and they're beginning to see us implement what they just ran away from. And I said, you know, in a sense, you, you immigrants from these communist countries are like um, Jonah going to Nineveh saying (laughs) repent. And, uh, and so America has been lulled to sleep and, and you're saying, no, you do not want to go this path. So, uh, people say, well, was it the early church socialist? No, the early church was the early church. Socialism is counterfeit early church, and the difference is between the word voluntary and involuntary. Mm-hmm. So the, the early believers voluntarily sold their property and laid it at the feet of the apostles. They didn't have the Roman government take away their property and force them to lay it at the feet of Pilate. And it's interesting, when the children of Israel went into the Promised Land, every family was given property. If you own property, you can accumulate stuff. The Bible called that being blessed. And you can give away some of your stuff. The Bible called that charity. Well, again, Karl Marx uh, said, you know, communism is summed up in one sentence, abolition of private property. So if you don't own anything, how can you be charitable? How can you give away what you don't have? Well, you don't need to be charitable anymore because you rely upon the government to do it for you. And therein lies one of the great problems with socialism is that it destroys the heart that God wanted us to have toward others, first toward him, and then others. There's no place for generosity anymore. It's pure selfishness. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, point out how that um, uh, human nature hasn't changed, and so those in power are always, always going to want to prefer their family and friends. The um, uh, French Revolution, their motto 
was liberty, equality, fraternity. Mm -hmm. Liberty is experienced individually. Fraternity is their word for socialism. It's the fraternity, the club, the group, the state, the Mm -hmm. Mm mom. And equality can be understood two ways. In America, it was equal treatment before the law. In France, it was everyone having an equal amount of stuff. And if the fraternity, the group, the club, the socialist state thinks you have too much stuff, it can trample your individual liberty because the worth of the collective outweighs the worth of the individual. They can trample your individual liberty, confiscate all of your hard-earned stuff, redistribute it, and kill you. Well, that's exactly what happened to the head, uh, the the great leader uh, of the French Revolution, Robespierre. Uh, here he was, a lawyer that was deeply respected and loved, and uh, then ultimately he was declared Messiah, and the next day they cut off his head. He was too much for them, and uh, they felt that they weren't getting their equal share, and so he had to suffer the consequences. There is no safety under socialism, is there? Yeah, it, it's a mob rule that ends up with a dictator. And so um, I tell people, imagine if older fish could tell younger fish to stay away from shiny things dangling in the water. But they can't. So every new generation of younger fish sees that shiny thing and they're attracted and caught. Mm-hmm. Socialism is a shiny thing dangling in the water. Free food, free clothes, <laughs> free education, free welfare. Uh-huh. Free is attractive, but there's a hook. <laughs> you give yeah. up control of your life. There's a quote from um, uh, Calvin Coolidge, and he said, just because something ought to be done does not mean it's the government's job to do it. In other words, the church historically had taken care of all of the social needs. Um, You look in the Bible, God gives commands to five groups, individuals, families, business, church, and government. The commands to the individual include taking care of the poor. The commands to the families are mostly relational. Husbands love your wives, children submit to your parents. The business commands are things like do an honest day's work, don't hold back wages. The government is commanded to take care of the poor, and immediately they did, feeding orphans and widows, and through the centuries they started schools and orphanages and medical clinics and hospitals and all these things that met the social needs. Do you know there's no command for the government to take care of the poor in the Bible? No, there is the not. Command to the government, command to the government's the shortest. Protect the innocent, punish the guilty. There's no command for the government to be involved in health care or in education. What's happened is the government has usurped the church's role. Yes. And that's, again, where Calvin Coolidge says, just because something ought to be done does not mean it's the government's job to do it. It's the individual's job. It's the, I mean, you know, here's Clara Barton, a woman. She starts the International Red Cross. You got William and Catherine Booth. They start the Salvation Army that ministers to all kinds of people's needs. You had a United Methodist minister that started the United Way. And you had all these different people that were doing it as individuals and as churches. Um, it was not the government. The government's a latecomer. Yeah. And the government comes in and then ends up taking over. Well, it's a I usurper. Love- and unfortunately, uh, it will take all that you are willing to release to it. Uh, and when you do that, uh, you've been fully and totally seduced. Now, it's almost impossible to regain freedom. It's almost impossible to regain what God had intended because now you have exchanged God, government for God. 
And that's unfortunately the uh, the seduction that takes place uh, when good replaces God, when government replaces God, and it's a very serious thing. And interestingly, uh, if you go back a, a few years, uh, there was a warning that was given to us concerning democracy, and it was that warning was on the co- the back of the very first book that I wrote. Uh, and Richard Halverson, former chaplain of the United States Senate, <clears throat> had talked about this. And here's what it was. Uh, a, a democracy always collapses eventually over loose fiscal policy followed by dictatorship. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations has been 200 years. They have progressed through the following sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependency, and from dependency back into bondage, which is where we totally trust the government to do everything for us. And uh, that is a great, great danger. And so socialism is not neutral. Uh, Our viewpoint concerning socialism, communism, uh, fascism, all of these isms uh, is a very dangerous thing uh, to uh, the Christian life, isn't it? Well, there's a great quote from Gerald Ford, and he said, people ask me, why don't you expand these federal programs and spend more federal money? He said, I look them in the eye and say, do you realize that a government that's big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take away everything you have? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, you know, d- different historians divide that circle, circular progression uh, in similar ways. One is a guy named J.D. Unwin, U-N-W-I-N, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book called Sex and Culture in 1934, and he had studied 80 major civilizations over a 5,000-year period of history, and he saw trends. And one of the trends he saw was that sexual promiscuity always precedes the collapse of a civilization. The Greeks and the Romans and the Babylonians, Mm -hmm. and he, he divided it into four. He says a civilization goes through a period of pain and poverty. They go through war, they go through famine, and they make it through, and they work hard, and they become productive. Mm -hmm. And then they all work together, and they become uh, protective and patriotic. And so when all of the uh, men in the country are acting this way, uh, you know, the people, they're, they're becoming productive and protective and patriotic, well, then they finally achieve prosperity. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. And then they want to enjoy their prosperity, and they become indulgent and lazy. Sexual and promiscuously. Mm-hmm. And sexually promiscuous. And then they collapse uh, and conquer by the next rising civilization. You know, there was a, uh, a side-by-side video, and I wish I would have saved it, but it had little kids in America dancing through an arch of balloons that are rainbow-colored, and they're all doing uh, being inter- introduced into the alternative sexual agenda. Mm-hmm. And then it has pictures of these Chinese kids. I mean, they're like probably six, seven years old, and they're all dressed in camouflage, and the 
their their camos, and they're all at their desks, and they're all taking apart and reassembling pistols. <laughs> wow. I mean, like really fast. They're taking them all apart, putting them all back together. I mean, they're they're raising people that are serious about fighting, mm. and we're raising people who they'll be 30 years old, and they're still trying to figure out if they're a male or a female or a fuzzy. And, and looking to the government to provide everything for them, uh, perhaps even to brush their teeth. Greg's, we're talking with Bill Federer concerning the subject of socialism. It's very seductive. Uh, his book is, is uh, called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. It is absolutely filled with historical information that you, uh, it's, it's going to be fascinating when you read this book. It's a $20 book, yours for $18, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can call us 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. Right there on the website, saveus.org. We'll be right back with Bill Federer. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, A letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Well, it's a utopian dream. That is, everything is going to be wonderful, everything's going to be perfect, you're not going to have to pay for anything, everything is going to be free. Socialism will solve all of our problems. Free health care, free education, free food, free housing, free medical care, free public transportation, child care, guaranteed jobs and income, vacations. Hey, how cool is that, as they say? Absolute perfection. The problem is, what do you do when you run out of other people's money? Now where are you going to get the money from? And when you've seduced people to, as a, as a, uh, a society, to depend, 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 even the corporations aren't going to gen, uh, engender the kind of income that the government can depend upon. And so you define deviancy down and the entire society gradually collapses of its own seductive weight. Who would be in favor of this? Well, the young people today, 30 and under, 40 and under, this is the the growing expectation. The government will do it for me. Bill, how can we survive as a society if we have young people... 40 years of age and under who are all depending upon the government to do it for them. Yeah, it, it's a very serious situation. Uh, I think it can turn around. 
But um, I, I did want to say one other inter- interesting insight on J.D. Unwin. And he uh, basically described the life cycle of a civilization is like that of an athlete. Mm-hmm. When the athlete is young, he's disciplined, focused, works hard. He wants that prize, that championship. And then finally he achieves it, and he's the champ for a couple seasons. And then he gets a little lazy, doesn't exercise as much, eats some fatty foods. And in his mind, he still thinks he's the tough guy. He gets challenged <laughs> into the ring of competition and gets a tar knocked out of him because in reality he's a pot-bellied couch potato. And so you have these civilizations. J.D. Unwin even called it a sexual marketplace. He said, when women as a whole say nothing happens unless there's a commitment, the guys make the commitment and they go out and work hard to bring back home something to keep their wives happy. And then something happens, little kids appear, and the guy has another emotion of being protective. And when all the men of the country are going out being productive and protective of their wives and families, rising water floats all boats. The country becomes productive and protective and mm-hmm. fantastic and creative, innovative, even militaristic. But when the women as a whole say there does not need to be a commitment, well, then water seeks its own level. You have a bunch of guys saying, hey, fun time, pleasure, and they get selfish and irresponsible. And and um, they, there's fewer kids born to fill the ranks of the military. And, and if they are born, they're born in single households and they're not dis- trained in discipline and And when enough of the men of the country act this way, the country becomes weakened. And then they become vulnerable to outside attack. And J.D. Unwin said it's irreversible. Once a snowball starts going down the hill, it gains momentum. Why? Because human nature is on its side. It wants the pleasure. And so... uh, In other words, we've been seduced. Yeah. You know, ancient Israel... Their experiment of ruling themselves without a king lasted a little longer because they had a big magnet in the sky called God, and people were virtuous because they were accountable to this God. You know, Plato really didn't have that. Uh, They had a bunch of Greek fickle deities that nobody really believed in anyway, and they weren't deities of moral standards. They were just, you know, emotions and so forth. And so Plato said, you know, this this self-government virtue thing's not going to last long. Uh, as soon as people realize that they can, um, you know, yield and benefit themselves by being in power, um, that it's going to collapse. And so that's where Plato said that since democracies, uh, he says the chief characteristic of a democracy is tolerance. Everybody tolerates each other. It's great. Then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off. Till finally they're tolerating lawlessness. And it turns into this chaos, and everyone says, we need the government to come in and restore order. And the government's happy to come in and restore order, but in the process, they're taking away all your freedoms, and then they're back to a dictator. And Plato says that a, um, the best you can hope for is a nice dictator. He calls him a philosopher king. Mm-hmm. And he's going to take the children away from the parents and indoctrinate these children with noble lies. Uh, and he said it's okay for the, the king to do that because... He's keeping it from descending into a democracy, which turns into chaos and lawlessness. And so you have a two-tiered system of the upper-class rulers and then all the lower-class commoners. So Plato says that the upper-class are the uh, head of gold and the arms and chest of silver, and everyone else is the abdomen of iron and bronze, and they're the ruled class. And he says that all socialism 
is simply a two-tiered system of a ruling class and the ruled class. And uh, Well, that's really what we see happening. We see it happening uh, with a top-down uh, government instead of bottom-up. It's a top-down now, which is uh, tantamount to a dictatorship in the name of democracy. So uh, uh, our, our whole system has been seduced, and it's taken... Uh, well, depending on how you look at it, you could say it took 100 years. Uh, you could say it took uh, 200 years, uh, depending on where you want the starting point to be. But if you go back to the 1960s, you find the so-called sexual revolution, which was a combination of the sexual revolution and the revolution against all authority. So I became my own ultimate authority to do what I want, when I want, to whomever I want, however I want, without consequences. Uh, after that, everything began to collapse. And uh, ultimately, socialism gained more and more authority. And uh, now that's where we are. So what's the difference then, uh, Bill, between socialism and communism? Is it just a matter of degree? Yes, yes. Lenin said that socialism is a transition phase from capitalism to communism. Mm -hmm. And even the USSR, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, they consider themselves socialist with communism as the goal. And so they think they're on a journey. And once they reach the place where all private property is gone, then it'll suddenly transform into this utopia. It's sort of like in Islam. They think when the whole world becomes submitted to the will of Allah, then there'll be world peace because everybody else will have been subdued. subdued. Uh, but they're on this violent journey to reach that that utopian uh, lie. But the um, uh, you know one of the things that I bring out is the most common form of government is concentrated power into the hands ultimately of one person. Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Salsa, Tsar. Antichrist. Yeah. The, the, um, and God took the Tower of Babel and scattered it, but it's almost like every generation since tries to reconcentrate the, and rebuild the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each time it comes around, it's a little worse, because with military advancements, they can kill more people, and with technological advancements, they can track more people. And so anybody that does plotting can see that at some point it's going to max out on a global level. And Jesus said, wheat and tares grow together till the harvest. Um, but through history, you have these rare examples of people taking the, the power of a king and separating it, taking the Tower of Babel, scattering it. Um, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, and ancient Israel. So Israel, around 1400 B.C., comes out of Egypt, where there's 2,000 years of Egyptian pharaohs. And they come into the Promised Land, and for 400 years they have no king. It's a total anomaly. In world yep. history, True. millions of people and no king, and it worked because every citizen was taught the law, and they were personally accountable to God to follow the law. And when the priest stopped teaching the law, because every man did what was right in their own eyes, turns into chaos, and they all go to Samuel the prophet, and they say, we want to be like the other countries, we want a king. Mm-hmm. And Samuel cries, and the Lord tells him, they did not reject you, they rejected me. Isn't that what's happening in America? We want to be just like Europe? We want to be just like uh uh, the rest of the world, Israel's doing exactly the same thing as well. Yeah. and But then you observe that democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of the king, give it to the people. Uh, a little different. Uh, a democracy, that word has two meanings. 
One is a general reference to a popular government where people are involved, mm-hmm. and that usage became uh, 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 cla- uh, you know used a lot during the, uh, Franklin Roosevelt and, and comparing us to the Nazis, and Arius Truman comparing us to communist China and Russia in his inaugural address. Well, communism does this, and democracy does that. So it's a reference to a popular government. As far as an actual functioning form of government, a democracy only worked on a small scale because demos means people, cross means rule. So in a democracy, every citizen has to be at every meeting every day to talk about every issue. 6,000 citizens of Athens, they're called out of their homes to the Agora marketplace. Every day you've got to keep up with what's going on. If you don't, you're called an idiotus, which means an, an idiot. Um, <laughs> now, a republic, a republic could get bigger. You could take care of your family and farm and have someone in your place that goes to the market every day. So it's a representative democracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's easy to remember because the REP in republic is basically the REP in representative. Mm-hmm. So a Republican form of government is a representative. America, we do a hybrid where we democratically elect our representatives, and then we add another feature called the Constitution. So it's, it's bylaws, it's, it's, it's ropes that are tying up these representatives so they can't do whatever they wanted, they're limited, and then ultimately uh, it's the idea that they're guaranteeing the rights that come from a creator. Uh, otherwise, it's still just sort of they, they can decide to take away your freedoms if they want to. Um, so but so democracy and republics are attempts to take the power of the king, give it to the people. But what if the king wants the power back? Does he just ask for it? Hi, I'm, I'm the king, and give me control of your life. Oh, okay, here you go. Is that how it happens? <laughs> Not usually. So the two methods are fear. When people are afraid, they will trade their freedom for security. That's what and we did with regard to uh, the COVID issue, isn't it? Yeah. That's exactly what that was all about. Trading your freedom because of fear. Yeah. And then the second is free stuff. Mm -hmm. Free stuff for the two meat. So so it's like a drug dealer takes over a neighborhood two ways. He can come in with guns and get people into fear and they'll submit to the mob. Or the drug dealer's so nice, he's giving free drugs, Mm. so you get hooked. There you go. More free drugs, or you have to sell yourself into All right, friends. Well, we're being seduced with uh, a kind of drug, whether it's money, whether it's uh, provision, whatever it is, it's seductive. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back with uh, Bill Federer in just a few moments concerning socialism and its seduction. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Again, today we're talking about the seduction of socialism, and indeed, our whole country is being seduced. Europe, so-called Christian Europe, has been seduced by long, long ago. The more they abandoned the authority of God and his word, the more they embraced a counterfeit, a counterfeit-ism that seemed good. You see, there is a way that seems good or right in the mind and heart of man, but the end thereof ain't so good. So social reformers always love socialism. Why is that? Well, it's it's kind of a systematized substitute for the unselfish love and compassion that God wants to flow from every human heart to those made in God's image. So you remember the Apostle Paul said, let's do good unto all men, but especially to them that are of the household of faith. So here's how uh, people who do not understand what God was trying to do there, and they here's what they think. Well, if we should do good to all men, why not devise a society to compel all to do good so as to achieve a so-called just society? That's what they think. And they think that is producing justice from God's viewpoint. What it does, it removes the conviction of your heart to do that which is good and honorable and right before God, and replaces it with governmental compulsion. That ain't so good, friends. And the root of it all is spiritual. You may think, we may think that it's economic. No, that's the outcome. That's the engine that's being used. But the real motivation for socialism is distrust in God. Bill, what say you? Yeah, it is a uh, voluntary versus involuntary. Mm-hmm. The uh, that you you go back to again, the children of Israel went into the promised land. Every family was given property. You own property, you can accumulate stuff. The Bible called that being blessed. You can give away some of your stuff. The Bible called that charity. Um, socialism is involuntary. The government powers take away your hard-earned wealth and distribute it to their supporters um and and it's something that happens every time why because it's in each of our own selfish human dna uh, i mean if if you, if you were the king or i were the king and we had some family member come to us and say hey i got this need you'd be like okay here i'll funnel you a little bit extra on the side and and then if somebody wanted to point out your favoritism you're going to be embarrassed and want to shut them up and you become oppressive Right, so you favor your friends and family, and you you oppress those, and it just happens every single time because every one of us has this fallen, selfish human nature. Um, now, you read uh, the Bible, and it talks about there, there's no respect of uh, 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 persons in judgment, mm-hmm. and so God is not a respecter of persons. There's no, you know, if, if Aaron stepped out of line, you don't get to go to the promised land, Aaron. If Aaron's own sons step out of line, they get burnt to a crisp. I mean, this is the high priest's sons. I mean, he, even you know, uh, David, you know, bringing the ark into the uh, into Jerusalem, and the, the one guy, you know, reaches out and touches it to, to steady the ark, and he gets killed right there. Why? Because well, you're supposed to carry it on your shoulders, not on a cart. And and David was like, I'm afraid of God now, and it's like, no, you know, so God's not a respecter of persons. And, and and so that was what he told 
the children of Israel when that when you're doing judgment you can't but but every other opportunity where you have a king he's always going to give respect to his his mom and dad his children his friends it, it happens so the brilliance of what the founders had is they they took the power of the king they scattered it amongst the people and they and separated the power and then they and then they are followed the law and then what motivates them to follow the law is each person's accountable to God I, I use the illustration to try to explain ancient Israel and the law Imagine if everybody downloaded a behavioral app on their iPhone. Instead of a GPS app telling you where to turn, imagine if you could have a behavioral app, right? It's monitoring your blood pressure and your voice volume. If there's somebody close in the vicinity and it runs this algorithm, you're, you're about to lose your temper. Alert, <laughs> don't lose your temper. And then it's monitoring your bank account, sees it's a little low, and then sees your geo position and it's store with expensive stuff and nobody's in the vicinity, run this algorithm, you're being tempted to steal, and it sends you an alert. Um, well, And then the Levite priests are the computer geeks that help you to download the app. And so everybody in ancient Israel downloaded this app called The Law. And they were following this internal law, and then the big question is, what would motivate you to follow it? And that's the belief that there's a God who's watching everyone, he wants you to be fair, he is going to hold you accountable. And that's called the fear of the Lord. And that's what's yeah. been totally abandoned in our country from the church house to the White House. We have abandoned the fear of the Lord. You don't fear the Lord, and you're going to end up fearing government because you're going to end up, shall we say, being seduced by the spirit of Godlessness, lack of trust in God, to give up your freedoms, and everything else to government, and now you're going to fear government rather than God. That's how it works. And government replaces God in socialism. Uh, it's, it's very simple. So I have a question for you, Bill. As America is drifting dramatically away from her godly roots and righteous ways, does it surprise you that we're drifting toward socialism and even communism? Yeah, uh, there's something about uh, selfishness that disables the algorithm in your brain that it is predictive. In other words, that when you're tempted to sin and you, in your mind, say, okay, if the guy fools around with the secretary, he's going to lose his family, lose his kids, uh, be shamed, lose his business, and die alone in a hotel room somewhere. Uh, and, and you see that, and then you think, you know, I don't want that end, so I, I'm not going to yield to this temptation. Well, what sin does is it disables your ability to see the consequences of your actions, and all you see is the immediate pleasure. Mm. And, and and so these people think, I want my ple- I want my trans pleasure now. I want my LGBT pleasure now. Well, do you know, by pushing this agenda, you're just taking away all morals from society. There's going to be kids out on the street saying there's no God, there's no right and wrong. I can kill the baby in the womb. I can feel like a fuzzy today. Anything tomorrow, I can. And these kids are out on the street saying, you know what? I feel like taking that person's life. I feel like taking that, hitting that old lady with, you know, with a hammer. I feel. And it's like, who can tell them that it's wrong? They've they've just got gone through school where they've told them that your feelings dictate everything to you. Right. Your feelings become Lord. Law. Yeah. So, um, but I do think that the good Lord is, as power concentrates, 
into fewer hands globally. I think God's counterbalance is to get more people involved locally. And so you think of it, more people go to a church than vote in a school board election. And the church members are driving by that school every day. And if you're silent, you're giving consent to what's being taught there, and you're going to be guilty for it. You know, I was uh, reading Numbers chapter 30. It's the silence equals consent chapter in the Bible. There's a half a dozen scenarios. One, if a daughter is still living in her father's house and binds herself with a vow, and the day the father hears it, if he's silent, her vow stands. That's mm-hmm. come down to us as vows in a wedding ceremony. Right. The pastor tells the church, if you're silent, you're giving consent to these wedding vows. Well, if your silence gives consent to wedding vows, it gives consent to other things. And if they're killing babies and you're silent, you're giving consent to killing babies. If they're teaching the trans agenda in that school you drive by every day, and you know Jesus said in the beginning God made a male and female, and you're silent, you're giving consent to the teaching of something other than what Jesus would teach. Their tactic is to guilt-trip Christians into being more Christian than Christ. If, if you're really Christian, you'll be wet cardboard, and you'll be silent while we teach your kids something Jesus would never teach the kids. <laughs> so in other words, if you're really Christian, you won't act like Christ. Yet Jesus said, if you're silent, and you allow one of these little ones that believes me to stumble, better than a millstone be put around your neck, and you'll be thrown in the depths of the sea. So it's going to be a rude awakening for these people that think they're being spiritual by not getting involved in what's going on in their community. When they realize by their silence they're giving consent to all that sin, they're inviting the judgment of God on their heads. The matter of uh, socialism uh, has tentacles that you're actually revealing, uh, tentacles that uh, wind their way insidiously through every aspect of our, our decisions, our thoughts, our minds, our, our lives together. And uh, when we give in to that, ultimately... Even as socialism is a synthetic substitute for loving our neighbors ourselves, then comes communism that presents itself as a synthetic utopian government to enforce the perceived wonders of synthetic love through socialism. And uh, that's when things really get tough. And uh, deception, I, I think when the scripture says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever men sow, they will reap. And that's what we're experiencing, isn't it? We're experiencing, we're sowing to the wind and reaping the whirlwind. Yes, and one of the tactics they use is called psychological projection. Uh, Sigmund Freud coined the term, where rude people call everyone they don't like rude. Little kids do it. I didn't start the fight, you did. A cheating spouse will accuse the faithful spouse of being unfaithful. And it's in the Bible. Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of lusting after her when she was lusting after him. <laughs> it's called projection, and so it's, yeah. <laughs> and so it's gotten into politics, where um, David Axelrod was Obama's campaign manager, and he said, in Chicago politics, we have a tradition where you throw a brick through your own campaign office window and then call a press conference to say you've been attacked, right? So they do the terrible stuff, and they blame you for it. They say that uh, you're uh, unpatriotic, when they are, that you want to destroy the Constitution when they do, that you're intolerant when they're intolerant, that, that you're hateful when they're hateful, you're a racist when they're a hate, right? Mm. And so you have it where, let's say, um, there's a candidate running for president, 
and she's giving away a fifth of the U.S. uranium to Russia in exchange for $145 million contributions to her Clinton Foundation. She wants to pay for a steel dossier to accuse her opponent of colluding with Russia. You accuse them of the exact crime you're guilty of. Why? Because the, the innocent person's name is associated with the crime in the press. People make a mental association where there's smoke, there's fire. And if it ever gets pointed back at the guilty party, by that time the water's muddied. Yep. The public doesn't know who to trust, and you get a pass. There you Let's go. Let's say there's another candidate that's extorting Ukraine, saying, stop investigating my son, or I'll hold back billions of USA. They want to accuse their opponent of extorting Ukraine. Let's say there's a candidate that they uh, know has classified papers in a garage next to his Corvette, and they know it's going to be public, and they know it's going to cause them negative heat. What do they do? They stage intentionally a big, visible raid on an innocent person that has had the FBI and CIA come in already and view all the documents and know where they're at and tell them, oh, you got to just put a lock on the door, they'll be fine, and, and, but they wanted the headline. Why? Because then everybody says, well, where there's smoke, there's fire. You must be guilty. And meanwhile, Biden gets a pass. And so that this is used every single day. They accuse the, you of what they're guilty of. Yeah. And well, what you're revealing is the uh, the spiritual tentacles that wind their way through the deception, the seduction uh, that is taking place. Once you give place uh, to being seduced, you're more easily seduced into other things. And it, there are echoing consequences to it, and that's what we're seeing take place. And it's happening so rapidly that uh, you know you want it's it's breathtaking actually to see how rapidly these things are taking place. The only hope is for massive spiritual revival, in my opinion, and it's got to start in God's house. Judgment's going to begin in God's house, friends, and that's where genuine change and revival has to take place. So, uh, that's my viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny. So does yours. And uh, I want to urge you to get a copy of uh, Bill Federer's book. I think you're going to find it uh, fascinating. A $20 book, here's for $18, on our website, saveus.org. It's called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. And... Uh, you can give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, uh, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. And uh, we're going to continue confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. Pray for us. Become a partner, friends. Do it today. Don't wait for the other guy to do it. He's not doing it. God's expecting you. Thanks for joining us. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.